Welcome back to the Cultura and Cash podcast. This is Giovanna Gonzalez, best-selling author of the book Cultura and Cash, also known as Gigi or the first-gen mentor on TikTok. And on today's episode, I am going to be answering some questions from the Cultura and Cash crew. So for those who don't know about the Cultura and Cash crew, they are my advanced readers for my book. My book was published in January 23rd, and they actually got advanced copies to my book in December. So they're my advanced readers. And uh, this is a very unique opportunity. It was only available to subscribers to my newsletter. I thought about opening up to anybody on social media, but I figured, you know what? My email subscribers are my most loyal people because they're receiving emails from me once a month. So I decided to only leave it open for that community uh, and I was only expecting, honestly, 20 applications. We got over 100 applications. Um, we were initially going to just accept 50 people because it, it was a lot of people to manage, but thank God I had the support of my wonderful project manager, Vanessa, and I think we allowed 85 people into the Cultura and Cash crew. So yeah, they got lots of sweet perks for being advanced readers of my book, helping me hype up the launch, uh, and one of the perks was having this exclusive podcast episode where I answer some of their questions. Uh, let's see here. All right, let's get into the questions. Uh, so the first one is from Araceli. Her question is, since releasing your book, what has been the most unexpected experience or opportunity? The most unexpected experience, I'd say, is I feel very overwhelmed in a good way by the positive, um, by, the, by the love, by the positive reviews that I'm getting about the book, how well it's received. When I was writing it, I was writing from the heart and how I felt, but I didn't know if it was going to hit. I didn't know if it was going to resonate. I didn't know if people were going to think I'm being too critical of our culture or maybe I was too white in the way that I was encouraging people to have a bicultural approach to their money. But instead, uh, my ideal reader who I wrote this book for, a first-gen Latina, uh, has been very impacted. I keep getting lots of DMs. There's, last time I checked, 76 five-star reviews on Amazon um, of positive feedback of how much this book resonates and I did not anticipate that much love, and I am so happy that the book has been well-received because it really makes all my hard work worth it. When I first saw the reviews, I honestly had a panic attack because it was so overwhelming to know, okay, this made sense. This was for something. This is well-received. Um, yeah, and, and that's why I had so much anxiety leading up to my launch because I was explaining to my friend Aida this weekend that... Um, there's so many parallels between writing a book and having a baby, so I'm not the first to make this connection, but I imagine, I've never been a mother or never I never will be, I imagine that when you are pregnant and your due date is coming, I imagine a lot of anxiety around hopefully I have a smooth delivery, hopefully the baby comes out healthy and has all 10 toes, hopefully there's no complications, right, so... I very much experienced that, but for my book, my book is my baby. I cooked it up for a year and a half, and uh, it's something that's very, very personal to me. So yeah, to, to not know what the outcome would be and to find out that the people love the book and they love the wisdom I share, the storytelling, it's it really, really means a lot. So that's something that I was not expecting at all. Um, and I'm so happy. I'm so happy um, that that's been very well received. And I know as more people keep talking about the book and sharing it with within their community, it'll just be getting more traction. So this is just week two. Yeah, going on week two. What's the most unexpected opportunity? Um, so far, we're still early on in the process. I'm sure there will be more. But so far, I'd say I was contacted by CNN to comment on loud budgeting. So that was kind of fun. I mean, CNN's big. Uh, so that article isn't out yet. It's still under works. And another um, unexpected opportunity that came about is I was contacted by Dr. Phil. And I actually sent the email to my publicist because I'm like, is this a scam or is this real? And she's like, no, nope, but very much is, is real. She's like, we were familiar with this production company. Uh, it actually wasn't about my, my book or my money. It was actually about 
the Refinery29 article I did on family estrangement, which is something that I went public about in July of 2023. Feel free to go to my website, go on the press page to find that article from Refinery29 Somos, where I talked about family estrangement with my mom. Uh, and my publicist says, I don't recommend you going because it's not a topic that you're focusing on right now. And also, you know, Dr. Phil, like he's, he's a wacko. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> and it's funny. I was telling my husband, I'm like, if Dr. Phil gets crazy, like, I'm not gonna, I'm going to get crazy right back with him. Like, I am going to be like that girl, like cash me outside. Like, I'm not going to let him talk to me. So it's just like, no, it's not a good look. It's not a good look for the brand. It just, it's just not in alignment with what I'm trying to do. So we deleted that email. It's not in alignment. So yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Next question is from Vanessa. Vanessa asks, as you continue to achieve more and move further into your success and career goals, how do you deal with parents or family members who do not support or understand your goals? What conversations or confrontations have been helpful for you in the past? This is a very, very tough question. It's a very common scenario for first-generation professionals. Um, Alejandra Campoverdi, my friend who wrote First Gen, a memoir, she talks about this in her book, and she actually calls this feeling the lonely hustle. If you haven't read this book, I highly recommend it. It's I'm actually, um, I read it the first time, and now I'm listening to it in the audiobook. I'm listening to her narrating it. And it's, it's just so good. I've, everybody that I've recommended it to and that has read it, they're like, oh my God, you were so right. This book is so good. So I highly recommend that book because she talks about these feelings of as you go up, you know, in corporate spaces, you become more unrelatable to your family, right? So um, I experienced that somewhat in corporate, but um, it wasn't... Uh, it didn't mean too much to me because I wasn't passionate about my career. I like what I did, but I wasn't passionate about it. So all I told them was that I worked in consulting and it was very, <laughs> very vanilla. Now that I love what I do, I do want to tell them all my future goals and dreams. And I have, I have made a video about this, right? Have you guys seen that? It was a TikTok and a reel where I'm like me telling my, my Mexican grandmother, my... <laughs> my uh like long-term dreams and goals for my career and it's doing I'm doing a, a dub on uh, I think it's DJ Khaled that he's saying I want the nice house I want the house in the water I want to I want to smell clean I want to be fresh uh something like that and then <laughs> it's uh Larry is it Larry King David is that his name oh my god I don't know if I'm butchering it R.I.P. I think it's Larry King David um he says how did you gain all that weight? <laughs> so that was his response to DJ Khaled, like saying all these hopes and dreams. And I said, this is what my Mexican grandma, at, at, she'll be like, and, and why are you overweight? Or porque te ves más gorda, was what I wrote in the TikTok. It's funny. I did that one this summer um, because that's been my experience when I share big, big goals. They'll just change the subject and talk about something else because it's not as interesting to them. So at first it was really hurtful, but I've learned to just kind of be patient with them because somebody like my grandma, who was a housewife her whole life, you know, how can she relate to what I'm doing now as an entrepreneur slash author slash speaker? It's just a different world. Um, here, I wanted to share a little bit about how each family member <laughs> feels about my um, success and career goals. As a lot of you know, I'm estranged from my mom. She's a toxica. Um, we are estranged because she's physically abusive. But before um, we, I cut off ties with her, I was made aware that she did not like the work I was doing as the first-gen mentor and that she thought I was poisoning young people's minds. So again, imagine how that feels, like knowing that you're making an impact in your community, but your mom's not supportive. So it's been better for my mental health to, to cut her off and to not let her have access to me. She's not going to be supportive. My Aunt Patty, who I'm very close to, and I dedicated the book to, as well as my grandma. Um, <laughs> Patty's funny. She's very supportive. She came to my book launch party, and a lot of people met her. Um, we had a great time when she was here in Chicago. But Patty's 
she's supportive in the sense that she sees me getting all this press. You know, I was mentioned in the Seattle Times as one of the top five books for financial wellness. And she's seeing all the clout that I'm getting. And she's very proud. She is very proud. She tells me that. But she still also tells me, like, oh, maybe, like, your messaging should be, you know, okay, this book is for Latinas, but everybody can learn. <laughs> she doesn't understand. I, I'm like, I can tell you haven't read the book. Because <laughs> I'm like, it is not a book for everybody. Uh, so so she's funny in that sense where she is happy, she's supportive, but she still doesn't understand my mission. And that's a little frustrating for me, although I understand it a bit because she unfortunately <laughs> leans a little conservative. So that's why she doesn't understand the importance of talking about the intersection of money and my bicultural identity. Uh, my grandma, <laughs> my nana, I love her so much. Again, um, now that I'm very passionate about what I do, I want to tell her what I'm working on and why I'm so excited and the cool stuff that I'm up to. And like just a couple weeks ago, she was like, oh, so do you still go to the bank? Like, are you still working from your home office or do you have to go to the bank in person? Because my last corporate job I worked, she thinks I worked at a bank. And I said, Grandma, I have been working for myself for over two years now. I don't go to a bank. Oh, I thought you did. I said, no. I don't. I said I work for myself. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, so I think she understands what I do now. I've sent her pictures of me speaking on stage. I've sent her articles um, of me being quoted. I sent her segments of me on TV. So I think she understands I don't work at a bank now. Uh, and then my brothers, oh, and I will say, I will add, my grandma is very supportive now that the book is physical. This whole time I was telling her I was writing a book and I feel like she didn't believe me, but now that I showed it to her, she's like, crap, you wrote a book. Um, so now she tells me she's very, very proud of me and that she loves me very much. My brothers, my two brothers, um, are not supportive. They bully me because they tell me that my TikTok following hasn't grown in two years. Uh, they completely ignore the fact that I've been writing a book for a year and a half. Uh, so that's disappointing. They didn't come to my book launch party. Um, they didn't text me to congratulate me about the book being out. Um, honestly, people are like, why are your brothers haters like that? Because we were closer a few years ago. Um, some people think, some people that are close to me and know the family dynamic, they think that it's my mom kind of poisoning the well. My brothers are grown. They're not little kids anymore. They're 32 and and 25. So I don't think it's that. I, maybe they might be a little bit influenced by my mom, but, um, I just think they're very self-absorbed and they're in their own world. And I think they're insecure, to be honest, about my success and, it feels sad to me. I wish they were happy for me. I don't need them to be happy for me, but I wish they were happy for me. And the fact that they aren't just to me shows me that they're not happy where they are in life, that they can't celebrate their big sister. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, let's see here. And then I wanted to share again, not everybody is a hater. <laughs> my uncle, who's my aunt Patty's husband, my uncle Chris, he's extremely supportive. Uh, he also came to my book lunch party and constantly texts me how proud he is of the impact I'm making. My dad, even though he was too scared to get on a flight to Chicago <laughs> to come to my book lunch party, he is also very proud of me and also says, Mija la chingona. He will reshare my posts on his stories and stuff. Uh, my other aunt, his sister, Mitya Amalia, extremely supportive. I shared on stories of super sweet audio that she sent me when she saw me at my book launch party. My half-sister, Elisa, she is for sure my biggest cheerleader as well, constantly DMing me, telling me that I'm an inspiration to her, that she brags about me to her students because she's a teacher in Tijuana, and um, I feel very loved and very supported by my sister. I love her very much. And again, Patty's come around. My grandma's come around now. Now she sees me on TV. Um, but regarding the questions of how do I deal with this, right? Uh, what conversations or confrontations have been helpful in the past? Um well, whenever I try to explain now my work to my family, I do it in the most basic terms and I explain to them why it's important to me, the work that I do, right? So like they don't have to understand my ins and outs, but they just have to understand my mission and why it matters to me. So that they finally understand, which is good. Regarding confrontations, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I had a confrontation with my brothers last time I saw them in, oh my goodness, since July. Has it been that long? Yes. In July when I saw them um, is when they mentioned, oh, we've noticed that your TikTok following hasn't grown like in a whole year. Like what's going on there? You need to make better content. And they're not content creators, mind you. So they're just judging me for no reason. And that was very hurtful that they aren't supportive and proud of me. Um, And thank God my grandma was there and my grandma backed me up. I said, grandma you know how I'm not focused on TikTok right now? Do you know what I'm focusing my time, my time on? And she's like, in tu libro. And I'm like, yeah, I've been writing a book. And they, they just don't get it. And, you know, I, I can't be wasting my energy and trying to convince my brothers to be happy or to understand me or be supportive. So I just got to keep it moving. Um, how do I deal with this with family that isn't supportive? Um, you know, for us, we're very family oriented. So, of course, we're going to seek our family support. But if your journey is similar to mine, we're family doesn't understand or they don't want to understand or they're straight up hating like some of my family is I am getting support through therapy to talk through these emotions and to get validation from my therapist I go once a week and I have been going once a week since July and it's been life-changing I'm also soaking in all the support I'm getting from my friends and chosen family and my community and readers because at the end of the day my intended reader of my book it's not my brother or my brothers, right? Or um, even my grandma, you know? So the people who I wrote the book for, it's making a difference to them. And that's what matters to me. So that's how I navigate those emotions. If you're in a similar situation, I would recommend therapy if that's accessible to you. Um, but you can also look into tapping into community because a community of like-minded first-generation professionals or people in your industry, they will celebrate you and understand the wins and challenges that you have in your career, and they can be there to support you as you go through them. Um, It's okay to keep your career life with your family surface level. You know, you can share other parts of your life, and maybe that part just keep it more vague and, again, open up to your your community your network your friends about your career um, challenges and wins and they'll be there to support you along the way hope that helps uh next question is from yesenia how does she define success i define success as doing what you love getting paid well to do it being respected for doing it and making a positive impact in the world while having a work-life balance. And the work-life balance part is important because it's important to do what you love and make an impact, but then you're also a human being at the end of the day, and you have to be able to enjoy your free time. Uh, To be honest, I'm still working on that last part of the work-life balance. This is my third year of entrepreneurship, And the book launch period has been extremely busy. So is the work-life balance where I would like it to be? It's not. It's gotten better. I think when I started my first year, I would work nights till 8 o'clock. And then I learned I have to have boundaries. So now I typically turn off the computer at 6. If I have something like a deadline, then I will work till 7. But I do not work till 8 or 9 anymore. Uh, And again, just to be clear, I'm not working like 8 in the morning to like 8 p.m. That's not my schedule. I get to, as an entrepreneur, I get to do my own schedule, right? So I typically don't start work till like 10, 10.30. I usually have slower mornings. Then I typically break an hour for lunch, and then I will work in between, have a couple breaks uh, after lunch and between 6 or something, um, but yeah, so it's, it's been re- extremely busy. Thank goodness I have the support of my launch team at this moment. Uh, but yeah, right now we are in February and I very much have planned to take the entire month of June off because I need to rest. I will be doing a lot of work, um, to promote the book. Then financial literacy will come in April, which will be a lot of work. It always is. Uh, and in May, I will be doing the narration of my audiobook. So in June, it's usually slower work-wise, so it's a perfect time to just kind of unplug. I think I'm going to unplug fully. I need it. My body needs it. And that way, I'll be nice and reset and be ready to hit it uh, in September for Hispanic Heritage Month. 
<sighs> so yeah, Oof, you hear the sigh. It's just, it's a lot. It's, it's not easy, you know? So yeah, anybody who says entrepreneurship, it's easy. They're trying to sell you something. <laughs> They're trying to sell you a course to get you into, into entrepreneurship. They're trying to make money off your dream to be an entrepreneur. It, it's not easy. It's, it's very demanding, but it's extremely rewarding. And I love being an entrepreneur. So that's my definition of success. Um, everybody is going to have their own definition of success because we all have our own unique perspectives and values. So your answer will be different depending on what those values are. Let me take a quick sip of water. I don't know if you guys have noticed that these episodes are not edited. Again, I'm not there yet. I will get there soon, post-book launch. But for now, we're just going to roll with the unedited version. Next question is from Emilio. He asks, can you talk about how to balance student loan debt and saving for retirement? Great question. Both are important. It's important to pay down your student debt as well as to invest for retirement. And it can be hard because um, especially if you got through the book, Cultura and Cash, you know that the, the, the earlier you start investing, the better it is because of the way compound interest works. It's exponential growth, not linear. So the earlier and the more aggressive you are in the beginning, the less you have to do later, right? The money works harder for you when you invest earlier. But that can be hard to balance if you have significant student loan debt. So I understand that. I understand, should I do more towards investing for retirement and do my minimum payments on my student loans? Or should I focus on paying off all my student loans and then starting to invest in retirement? No, no, do not wait until you are debt free to start investing, especially if at your workplace you have some sort of match, right? So if you have a 401k or a 403b and they offer you a 3% match, 5% match, 6% match, whatever it is, please, please, please consider investing at least up to that match. So you get that free money. And then maybe um, if you are able to afford, continue paying the minimum payment on the student loans. Typically student loans, as long as they're federal student loans, they're typically low interest rate, where if it's a private loan, it's, it'll probably be a little bit more. I would definitely be more aggressive with a private loan or the parent plus loans because those cost more money. But if it's, a, if it's your student loan, typically you'll be okay paying the minimum payment at first. If you still have money left over, instead of putting more money into a 401k beyond the match, think about adding a Roth IRA or rather uh, opening up a Roth IRA. And the reason for that is because the tax treatment for Roth IRAs and 401ks is different. For Roth IRAs, you pay taxes now and you don't pay taxes in the future. And the reason that you should consider doing this if you're entry level at your job is because right now it's likely the lowest your salary will be the point of you being a career being in a career is for you to increase your income over time so if you're on the entry level spectrum of your salary this will be the lowest taxes you'll ever pay as you go up in your salary you will pay more taxes because your income's higher so it makes sense to open a Roth IRA while you're young add as much money as you can to it to invest for retirement and then you don't have to pay taxes later. Hopefully that helps. Um, I don't want to get too much into this question because I can make a whole episode and I will make an episode about this eventually. But for now, at least, like I said, pay enough to get that match at work. At least pay your minimum uh, balance on your student loans. If you have a little extra money after that, add it to a Roth IRA. And um, the other note that I have here is I wish I had been more aggressive with my loan repayments. I was okay with the 10-year schedule. I just thought that that was normal. And uh, just because you have a 10-year schedule doesn't mean you have to wait 10 years to pay off your loans. So I very much now knowing what I know, how debt held me back in other parts of my financial picture. It, it helped me back from being able to build savings, from being able to invest more money, um, to plan for other goals because my money was going to my debt. I wish I would have been more aggressive in repaying my debt. And I actually did. I did end up paying my 
student loan debt before the 10 years. I think I paid it two years early, so after eight years instead of 10, because I started learning about financial literacy and I really started overpaying, paying way more than the minimum balance or the minimum payment rather. Um, but I could have saved a lot of money in interest if I would have been more aggressive and I could have been debt-free sooner. And the way that I wish I would have done that before would have been by increasing my income. So at work, you can increase your income by doing overtime. If you're eligible for overtime, if you're due for a raise, speak to your manager about increasing your compensation. Um, If that doesn't work and or actually, also think about side hustling. Honestly, it is so easy to side hustle these days more than ever. You can be a virtual assistant, on Fiverr, there's a lot of things that you can help people with. You can do Instacart, Ubering, Task Rabbit to help set up furniture, dog walking, dog sitting. I w- that's probably what would have been my go-to dog sitting. Have somebody drop off their dog with me for the weekend, and I make three hundred bucks. Um, I have to hire dog sitters when I take when I take a vacation. And yeah, last time that we were gone for I think it was a week, a week and a half, ten days. Ten days we went to Italy. It was $1,000. <laughs> so that's nice. Like, especially if it's an easy dog like mine that she just, she's house trained. She doesn't bark. Um, it, that's a nice way to make money, especially if you're an animal lover. So I wish I would have done things like that, that don't require putting on an apron and serving tables like I used to in my 20s. Because that's, that's work. I didn't want to go to a restaurant. But there's a lot of ways to make money from home these days and I wish that I would have taken advantage of that to be more aggressive with my debt payoff so I hope that you take this advice and are inspired to do some side hustling of your own it doesn't have to be forever if you end up being overwhelmed because you have your full-time job and your side hustle then cut back but at least you know that option is there for you next question is from Angeli and I hope I'm pronouncing it right I'm sorry if I'm not Question is, what are your tips for sharing our journey to financial freedom with our loved ones? For example, how do I start the conversation with my younger primas so they don't have the burden that I did in learning everything on my own? Number one, give them cultura and cash. (laughs) Of course, I'm going to plug the book. I wrote the book in a way where it should be accessible to somebody in high school or somebody in college or somebody right after college. Um, so yeah, I, I really try to simplify the terms, but there are a lot of books, uh, for teens that I would encourage you to look into. I personally am not familiar with any of them, but that would be a good way to let your, uh, younger primas know the importance of money by giving them books that are written for teens about money, but cultura and cash will definitely help because it will talk about the first gen experience, right? Which is probably what they're going to have to go through too. Uh, depending on their age, let's say that your prima is in high school, I would say that's a very appropriate time to talk to them about being smart with money, especially if they're of working age. Um, I know when I first started working at 17, um, nobody had talked to me about what to do with my paycheck. So my paycheck, it was new money and I just wanted to spend everything I had. (laughs) And I spent it on trips, on purses, on expensive Gucci sunglasses that I had no business spending money on. But I didn't know any better, right? So what was I supposed to do? So that's what I would do if I had now like a younger prima. Talk if she has a little side job, you know, the part-time job while she's going to high school. um, Tell her that. It's great that she's making a little income, but it's important to think about the future. Uh, So there's a couple ways that you can approach this. Uh, Let's see. And and I would definitely run this by the parents. I think it's important that the parents are on board and that they know that you're talking to their child about money. Um, And hopefully they're receptive. But yeah, you can teach them if they're a working age and they're making money. You can teach them the importance of compound interest how compound interest works and the younger you start the more money you make you can help them open a custodial Roth IRA that's a Roth IRA for underage children that are working and are making an income you can even offer to to match them up to a certain amount so if you say hey let's say your prima's name is Lisette hey Lisette if you add $50 a month 
to the custodial Roth IRA that you open, I will give you 50 bucks to match it. So in that way you'll have a hundred bucks and we can do that every month or whatever the number works for you. But that's a good incentive to get them to be like, oh, she's going to help me out. Sure. Okay. So that would be one strategy. Or um, if they're not ready for something like a custodial Roth IRA because it's investing and maybe they just need help saving, starting by saving, um, similar strategy there. And I actually did this with my youngest brother, Pablo. I said, hey, Pablo, I think he was he was working at the library at his school, not making a ton of money, probably like, I don't know, 200 bucks a week, not a week, 200 bucks a month. And I told him, if you add $25 to your savings account every month, I will match you. And he was like, it's price. Like, really? He's like, why? I'm like, because I want to help you. I want to help you get into the habit of saving. So that's going to encourage you to save. And he says, okay, so as long as I put in $25, you're going to give me 25. And I said, yes, but you have to leave the money in the account. If you pull it out, it's cheating. Okay. And um, he's an excellent saver now. Honestly, and, and I can't take the credit for that because who knows, maybe he would have been a good saver anyways, but honestly, he's even a better saver than I am. He is very, very good at saving money, but that had to have played a role, right, in his relationship with money. Seeing the money grow, seeing that it's there if he needs it in the future for something. Um, so you can do a mix of that, of doing it with the custodial Roth IRA for their retirement in the future, or and or you can match their savings in a savings account. Please encourage them to use a high-yield savings account so that they get paid interest. Otherwise, they will not get paid too much interest. And then lastly, you can uh, consider adding them as an authorized user on your credit card. I do talk about this on the book as a way to help the future generation do better with money. You can explain what credit is and the importance of credit, how it helps you get approved for apartments, to buy a new MacBook, to... Uh, get an auto loan for a car, things like that. And um, if they meet the age requirements of your credit card, then you would be allowed to add them again with the parents' approval, just so that everybody knows. And that way they get to piggyback off your good credit. So as long as you're responsibly handling credit, they would benefit from your positive spending habits, right? And the trick here is to not give them a credit card. So And I talk about this in the book too. Like you can take the chance of trying to really micromanage and explain to a teenager how to manage credit. I personally have a very full plate as it is. So I would just add them to my credit card with their consent and the parent's consent as an authorized user. They will send you a card. You never have to give them that card. They don't have to actually use the card for them to benefit from credit building by being added as an authorized user to your account. And lastly here, once they're older and working professionals, you can still do all these things that I mentioned, but I would also take it a step further and help them review their workplace benefits. I'm sure a lot of you struggle with that as I did when I was a first generation professional. My parents never got access to workplace benefits, so they couldn't help me navigate workplace benefits like what type of insurance to sign up for an HMO or a PPO? Should I open up an FSA or an HSA? Should I get life insurance? I is saying that I have life insurance available to me. Should I get um, dental insurance? All these things, right? So uh, please take the time to help your younger loved ones uh, sift through that paperwork because it can be intimidating. And when it's intimidating, they just don't opt into anything because they're like, ugh, this is confusing. And you want to make sure that they sign up for what makes sense for them because these are part of their benefits as an employee for a company. So um, usually uh, open enrollment is in the fall. So just know to be in touch with your primas and your younger siblings and all those people and do it in advance, right, to be able to review their benefits package and their company website to understand explanations of what their options are. Uh, let's see here. And then the last note I had here was, well, yeah. And, you know, telling them your financial goals, how you plan to achieve them and encouraging them to be aggressive with any debt they have, like student loans, as well as encouraging them to save and invest. This is something that my aunt Patty, thinking back, she's the only person that ever talked to me about money, but honestly, it, it wasn't much to make an impact, but it was enough where 
I had some exposure to money and it was because she was a religious watcher of Oprah, but she'd always say, are you saving 6% of your income? And I'm like, I think so. And she's like, it's, if you, if you will, you'll be rich by the time you retire. That's all she knew. And she still can't explain the numbers, but that's just what she heard on Oprah. I'm pretty sure it was David Bach. That was like the common personal finance guru that would come on. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, at the time I didn't know, but I actually was putting 6%. I was putting more. I was at the time I was working uh, at Progressive Insurance. I was putting 6% to my 401k and they were matching me with another 6%. So I was actually putting 12% into my workplace retirement. So, so yeah, just again, nor- normalizing money conversations with them, um, talking to them about their career and encouraging them to um, ask for raises I mean, so many years I went without asking for raises because I didn't know you were supposed to. I thought that that was something that your boss rewarded you with whenever it was time. So it's important to empower your younger primos, primas, um, or brothers and sisters to know that as they're working up um, in the corporate ladder, they not only are they allowed to, but they're expected to advocate for themselves and ask for more money. And and that's a whole another episode, and that episode will come too. But we'll leave it at that for now. Uh, let me see. We're f- almost 40 minutes in, but I think we're almost done. We have two more questions. All right, I just took another sip of water so we can finish here. All right, Valentina asks, how do you deal when your parents buy everything old and used and don't see that something newer might be better in the long run? Old old and keeps breaking down. So I know what you mean by this because I know a lot of people do that. They don't see the value in buying more expensive, high quality items and they keep buying cheaper stuff like cars or I don't know, cheaper appliances. And then they actually end up spending more money because they have to keep replacing them. Right. I personally have not had this problem with family. Actually it's been quite the opposite. Uh, for example, when it comes to cars, my family always buys new, um, and it's always new cars they can't afford. <laughs> so it's it's an opposite problem with with my family. But I wonder if you would be able to buy them a quality piece to show them that quality does matter and that it's long lasting. So I'm thinking about my snow boots, for example. My snow boots, I live in Chicago, if anybody doesn't know. And when I first moved here two two years ago, I had to invest in snow boots. And at first, you know, I I still have my frugal spending habits, believe it or not. And I'm like, let me get some $50 boots. And then I started thinking, you know what? Why wouldn't I get the nice boots that are going to last me 10 years? And that's what I did. I got a nice pair for 200 bucks. Um, they're timeless. They're not like fashionable. They're just like timeless kind of tan snow boots. And I forget the, the brand name, but, um, they're a great pair of boots and they will last me 10 years. So when you do the math, what is that? That's 20 bucks a year over 10 years. If that's how long they last me, if not more. So yeah, that's cheaper than getting, um, a new pair of $50 boots every year. Right. And it's also better for the environment, for the world. Um, You can also do the math with them and show them, you know, so if they have one, if you're thinking about one thing specific, let's say a refrigerator, they keep buying old refrigerators or old washers and dryers and they keep breaking down and they're constantly having to fix them. Do the math with them and and show them how they could be saving more money if they bought new and didn't have to do as many repairs, didn't have to replace it as often. And seeing the math might convince them. But but if you have the ability to give them something of quality, like a nice jacket or, like I said, a nice pair of shoes or something that you know they wouldn't buy for themselves but you can afford to give them, that might be a good way to show them, hey, quality does matter and it actually could save you money over the long run. And to wrap up, we had three questions about uh, budgeting and couples. February is here, you know, so love is in the air. I think people are just talking about their, thinking about their finances and their loved ones. So um, out of the three questions, I broke two of them apart because they were a little bit different. So the first one is from Michelle. Michelle asks, do you feel like who you marry makes a big impact on your financial goals? And 
or financial habits? If so, what advice would you give first-generation folks when it comes to dating and moving up the financial ladder? Thank you, Gigi. Love your content and realism. Thank you, Michelle. Oh, my God. Do you feel like who you marry makes a big impact on your financial goals? 100%. When you marry somebody, it's a partnership. <laughs> it's like you're like starting a business with them. So, yes, it, it, marries who, it, it matters who you marry, who you enter this partnership with. And I'll share from my personal experience that um, my life, my last, my life the last few years would have been much easier had I married someone who was financially literate and who had generational wealth. So that's not who I married. My now husband, when I met him, was not financially literate. He had a very bad relationship with money and he doesn't come from generational wealth just like me right um I love my spouse and we went through a lot of financial challenges because we couldn't get on the same page about money I'd love to do an episode on how we overcame that but I really have to get it clear with him first and he's actually he's asleep right now otherwise I would have asked him but what I'm allowed to share is that that yeah he he was in a lot of debt when I first married him and um, we ended up finding out that his negative relationship with money was mostly due to financial trauma that he had as a child because his parents constantly argued about money. Apparently, his parents still argue about money. And when you're a little kid, you know, little kids aren't equipped to experience their parents fighting. They don't understand it, so he learned to associate money with like screaming and shouting. So to his, to his little six-year-old brain was like, money's bad, money's bad. We don't talk about money because it's just problems and they're screaming and shouting. So so we learned that through therapy. Thankfully, uh, he was open to go to going to therapy and to work on his mindset and heal his money wounds. And since then, we're finally on the same page. But how long have we been together? I think we're going on seven years in July. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, seven years. And the first four years were really challenging because we couldn't get on the same page. So, yeah, we've been together seven years but married. Oh, my God, going on three. Oh, my God. Yeah, married going on three this April. But yeah, the first four years of our relationship were hard because um, our finances were in different places. Our money values were different. But thank God through therapy, things changed. And um, a book that really helped us was Smart Couples Finish Rich by David Bach. I would highly recommend it. It might be a little dated, but honestly, it's it helped me a few years ago. So it, I think it's worth at least checking it out from your local library. Uh, let me see what other notes I had here. Um, oh, <laughs> regarding, um, uh, how do you approach money with dating? I would say it is more than fair to start talking about money early on in the dating process as soon as the third date, honestly, it's fair game. Just like you talk about other life goals on your first date about like, oh, do you want children? Oh, where do you want to live? Do you want to own a house? What are your career goals? The money talk is more than fair because you want to move forward with a person who shares similar money goals and similar money values. How would you work that conversation in? Because I know it can be tricky. This would be something that I would use. I haven't gone on a first date, unfortunately, in years, but this is how I would approach that conversation. I would say, hey, I'm working on my financial journey right now. I'm reading a bunch of financial literacy books. And uh, I'm learning that it's going to be important that I meet somebody who shares similar money values. Can we talk about that and see how this person is, right? If they immediately shut down and, oh, I don't like to talk about money, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. I'm not saying write this person off and block, delete, and report. But it's definitely somebody that doesn't have that isn't in tune with their money, right? And you can ask them like, oh, are you uncomfortable talking about money and find out more that way. If they immediately light up and they're like, oh yeah, let's talk about money, that's good. That's a green flag <laughs> because that means that they are clear on their money picture. Uh, and if they're willing to talk about it, again, if you're willing to talk about like, do you want to have kids? You should be able to talk about what are your money goals and what's your financial picture. 
So I very much wish I had had this discussion with my now husband sooner. We didn't have the money discussion until three months into our dating and it was too late. I was already in love. (laughs) And I tell people, don't make the mistake I made. I love my husband very much and, and he's a great partner. But had I known what I know now, I don't think I would have continued with the relationship that early on because, again, the money situation was bad in the beginning. So I would definitely encourage any single women listening to this to please, please, please bring up the money conversation early on because it is important. We're not going to act like money doesn't matter. Money does matter. Money affects every aspect of our life. And if you're going to be working hard on your financial journey, you want a partner who shares those values and will be doing the work with you. Uh, Let's see. Another way that you can open up the conversation. So once they're open to, oh yeah, let's talk about money you want to ask them, you know, uh, do you read money books? Like how, how much do you know about money? Right. Because you want to get a sense of how far they are in their financial education, because as we all know, it's not taught to us in school. And if you have immigrant parents, it's not taught to us either. So start there, ask, do you do any investing? Do you have like a workplace retirement account that you put money into? Um, do you have any student debt? Right. That's more than fair because student debt is, is serious. It doesn't go away. So, Um, If you went to college, do you have any student debt? Do you feel comfortable sharing how much? Um, This one came up on the last season of Love is Blind, right? If you guys are Love is Blind fans uh, with, what's his name? Izzy, the credit score. (laughs) Oh my God. The FOMO was so real when that show was on because I wanted to make so much content about that whole low credit score debacle, but I couldn't. That was the hard part about writing like the FOMO and missing out on good content that I could have spoken on. But uh, it's okay. It was worth it. The book was worth it. But but yeah, I mean, even something like that that we saw go down in Love is Blind, it's important that you know how somebody's relationship is to credit. Do they have a good credit score? Do they have credit at all? Because if you're going to marry this person and you want to buy a home one day, you probably want to buy the home together. And if one person has good credit, but the other one has bad credit, that's going to affect the type of financing that you're going to get. So again, it's important to have these discussions early in life, not early in life, early in dating. Uh, Again, uh, what sort of savings goals do you have? Are you planning, um, are you saving for a down payment? Are you, what like savings goals are you excited about, right? To see if they have any sort of money goals, um, And then I would also open up the conversation about, do you have any financial obligations to family? Like, do you financially support your family at all? And I think that's important to discuss too. Um, That can be more of a conversation later, I'd say, because then it it is kind of a lot of, I mean, I can geek out about money all day. So maybe you can leave that for further down, maybe like the sixth date, but just bring it up again about like, hey, talk about money. Like, I'm curious now that we're, you know, still dating and getting to know each other. I'd love to uh, revisit that conversation. Do you support family in any way or would you like to in the future? What does that look like? Because like for me, for example, for me, it's important to financially support my grandparents and my dad when I want to and when I can. So I need a partner that's not going to throw a fit when I go to Mexicali in March and give my grandma a thousand dollars, which is what I plan to do. Right. Um, And I also need to be with the partner who like, he's not giving $5,000 to his family every month, right? Like we we need to be on the same page. So it's important that everybody understands kind of your money values when it comes to family. A lot of people intend to retire their parents or to have their parents move in with them, right? That's something that me and my husband, I've kind of told him, I'm like, hey, um, my dad, he, he's divorced, second time divorced. I'm like, he's not going to live by himself. Like when he's old, old, he's not going to live by himself. And David's like, well, he's not going to live with us. And I'm like, well, okay, maybe he's not going to live with us, but we're going to pay for him to have 24-7 help. Like my dad is not going to be alone in the home by himself. So we're already having those conversations. And my dad's a, a, a ¿cómo se dice? Uh, chavo ruco. <laughs> he's a chavo ruco. So he's like hitting up the clubs. You know, he's not slowing down anytime soon. Knock on wood. He's 57 or 58. He had me young. I think he was 21 when he had me. But still, it's important for us to discuss things like that. And we're already putting money away to be able to support my dad uh, in his retirement because that's very important to me. So again, all these things should be more than fair. 
And then last question here. Uh, wow, it's going to be my first one hour long episode. <laughs> and it's a solo episode too. You see, I can talk forever. Last question here from Natalie. Budgeting and financial tips for married couples, maybe percentages to be allocated, example 50, 30, 20, or steps to implement navigating financials together and for kids. All right. So what this question is basically asking is how do you work towards money goals together as a couple or how to use, how do you split the monthly expenses as a couple is what this question is asking from what I understand. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me take another sip. So I've been talking for a while. All right, I'm back. So this is going to be different for everybody um, because everybody has their own unique money values. But what it will require is an honest conversation with your partner about what your expectations are in this relationship. So whether you're married, engaged, or just cohabitating you need to have this conversation about what the expectations are around money you can start the conversation by talking about money goals like hey we're both working we both have expenses we both have income what are we doing with this money instead of just paying rent and getting by what do we want to do with our money so that we're building wealth over the long term right so are we going to focus on paying off debt are we going to start saving for a down payment are we engaged and we're going to start saving for a wedding so we don't get into debt to pay for our wedding? Do we already have children and do we want to start investing for our children's college fund? You need to get on the same page about what you want your money to do with you, to do for you as a couple. So you're going to have to be open and transparent about your income, what your take-home income is, what you're both spending money on, and get yourself on a budget. I have a whole chapter, I think it's chapter four, budgeting is your BFF uh, on budgeting. And I also have a low cost budgeting basics. Uh, it's an on-demand mini course uh, that I have on my website, which you can check it out. Uh, but there's a lot of free YouTube videos so you can also watch about budgeting. But once you get clear on your income and your expenses and you get yourself on a budget, then you need to decide how you're going to spend this money together towards household expenses and your money goals, right? So some people like to add money that are for joint expenses into a joint account and they'll pull money from there. I have never done that. I want to keep my money separate. I want to know exactly where my money's at, especially with somebody like my husband who at first was not financially literate. Um, even though we are married and our finances are tied into the sense that if we divorce, like a judge would still have to look and, you know, split us down the middle. For right now, our money's separate, okay? And that's how I like it. And that's how he likes it. And it's always been, and that's what works for us. That's what works for us, but that doesn't mean that's what has to work for you. If you feel more comfortable having a joint account, knock yourself out. But yeah, for me, it's always been separate. And the way that we uh, pay for things is we charge mutual is that the not mutual shared shared expenses on a credit card and then we both pay that credit card equally so I, i'll talk i'll talk more about that but, but yeah let me first talk about the different ways that some couples manage their their income together as a couple as a household so some people do 50 50 they're like hey we're equal partners we're gonna do 50 50 right you pay 50 percent of the bills across the board and I do the other 50%. And I actually did this with my spouse for a long time. The first, I would say four years of our relationship, we did this. And this is what worked for us at the time because uh, we weren't married. Actually, we were married the last year, but we weren't married at first. So we were just, you know, in a serious committed relationship, cohabitating. Um, we had similar incomes and that's just what felt right, especially when I knew that he had debt. Um, I had debt too, but not as much as he had. So I was okay with that. He was okay with that. Uh, some people like to do proportional. So, uh, for example, one of my good friends does this. She makes more money than her longtime partner. So let's just do a percentage. Let's say that when they combine their income, she makes 70% of the money he makes 30%. He makes less. 
So she feels comfortable paying for 70% of their expenses because she makes 70% of the income and then he only pay, he pays for less because he earns less. That personally would not work for me. That's just me. Those are my money values, but that's what works for some people. Uh, some women want the men to pay more. Me, I am some women. <laughs> some women are okay with paying more than the men. That's not me. And again, if that's you, that's fine. You do you, right? So like I mentioned earlier, for me, I first started doing 50-50 with my then boyfriend because he had a lot of debt and our salaries were similar. When I took the leap from corporate baddie to entrepreneur in June of 2021, we had a conversation, right? So even though I had savings to explore this interest of mine, this passion of mine to teach financial literacy to others, I knew that it was, it was like, I was going to have like financial uncertainty, right? Like what kind of money am I going to make? When am I going to be profitable? I didn't, I didn't have any answers, right? I just knew that I had to explore this. And I knew that I would no longer have access to my workplace insurance that I had with Northern Trust, my health insurance. So um, I couldn't be added to his plan. At this point, we were married. I couldn't be added to his plan because it was too expensive, so it was actually going to be cheaper for me to get on the exchange for health insurance because I did not want to risk being health uh, without health insurance. And anybody listening here, please, please uh, make health insurance a priority because life happens and you like uh, medical debt is the number one reason for bankruptcy in this country because it's just ridiculous how expensive um, medical costs are. So please, please, please. Do not go without health insurance. Um, look for ways to get accessible health insurance. And for me, the first year I did it on the exchange uh, and I asked him to pay for it. So the conversation we had was, hey, David, I have held you down for years. I've been OK with paying 50 50. Um, I've been OK with paying for moving deposits every time that we've moved because you've had zero savings and I've always had savings. I've been okay with using my credit to apply for housing because your credit was bad. I've been okay with using my car because your car was repossessed. More on that later. <laughs> More on that on another episode. So again, I was, I've been holding you down. I've been holding you down. And now that I have the opportunity to pursue this passion of mine, it's your turn to be a partner to me and hold me down. And I'm very fortunate that my partner is a very supportive partner. He said, yeah, absolutely. What do you need? I said, perfect. Glad we're on the same page. What I need from you is to pay more in rent so that I can, you know, have lower expenses while I'm figuring out my business. So since I've been an entrepreneur, he pays more in rent and I'm going to continue it being that way because I'm still reinvesting in my business. So he pays, let's say two thirds of the rent. I probably pay a third. That probably makes sense. Uh, and then he also pays for my health insurance up until recently, actually up until recently, I said, Hey, I'm at a point in my business where I can start paying my half of the health insurance. And he said, are you okay? He said, I don't, I don't mind paying. And I said, I know, um, he makes good income, right? So I said, I know, but I, I, I can help out. And I know that you have other savings goals. So I want you to use that money for other savings goals. So that's pretty recent as of the last month or two. Uh, I started paying for my health insurance again. Uh, and he, I now I have him pay for all our takeout. So we are big foodies. That's the number one thing that we spend money on. We don't really go to bars. We don't really do a bunch of shopping, but we love eating out. And uh, I told him to when I went, um, when I, when I went to entrepreneurship, I said, I need you to pay 100% of our takeout expenses. And he said, all right. And we've been on a budget and, and it's been great. Um, regarding the household expenses, things like groceries, cleaning supplies, dog food, uh, all those shared expenses as a couple that lives together, those we do split in half. And that's what works for me. So again, just sharing this so that you can kind of see different strategies. Um, some people prefer, I know my parents, uh, they did where my mom paid the mortgage and then my dad paid all the other bills. So he paid for groceries and the utilities and everything else. So it's just whatever works for you. 
test out different things, but be open with your partner about what kind of support you need and what kind of support makes you feel safe. For me, it makes me feel safe to know that my man is paying more in rent and that he's taking care of the food, which was a big expense for us and that for a long time he paid for my insurance. And I'm so proud of him because he really has transformed his finances. He's put in the work. Um, For some women, they want to be, no, I want to know that I'm an equal partner at all times and I always want to do 50-50. You do you, boo. That is not me. <laughs> what did a little kid say? Why spend mine when I could spend yours? That's how, that's my philosophy, right? Like, let him spend the money. Um, there is a women's and a Latina pay gap, okay? So there's also a pink tax. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why I have this man pay for things. Um, so yeah, that's the end of the questions. Uh, if I missed your question, I am sorry. These were the questions I had when I checked the document with the form that asked for these podcast questions. I will look through it later. And if I did miss any, I will answer them on our discord channel. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate. There will be new episodes every Monday. I like this cadence of every Monday because I get a little free time on the weekend to record a quick episode. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, screen record your favorite part of the episode, post on IG stories and tag me so I can show you some love. And lastly, go to culturaincash.com to learn more about my best-selling book, Cultura and Cash. I've uh, done some updates to the website, culturaincash.com. I added some book tour dates so that you can mark your calendar when I'll be in your city and I will continue to add more events. We are cooking up a lot behind the scenes, but the ones that you see on the website are the ones that are confirmed. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.